over honor. It needs to be greater than honor. And part of what uh, choosing humility means is understanding that your power and your resources and your influence, your status and your giftedness, your skills and abilities, all those things can be used by God through you because he gave them to you in order to be used for his purposes and for his plan. And that ultimately that we are to seek humility and not honor so that we can seek his purposes uh, over our own. And we can use those things not just for our uh, edification and our building up, but also to serve others as well. And so as we look at uh, these topics over these uh, few weeks, I just want to remind you that these topics and these texts and these messages and these thoughts, they're, they're, uh, you've probably heard them before in some form or fashion. And they may not wow you or impress you, but here's the truth. We all need to hear these things. We all need to be reminded what living a life in light of the resurrection is really like. And we need to be reminded what the scriptures tell us. We need to be uh, reminded that they are applicable to our daily life. And these are truths that, uh, that I've been challenged by, and I pray that you'll be challenged by them as well. One other reminder that, that I just feel like we need to understand going in is that this is not about behavior modification, Okay, this is not about us getting our act together and and so that we can appear holy before God and so then he can be pleased with us. This is not uh, what that, uh, what this whole thing is about. What this is about is us understanding that there's an opportunity for us to live our life in a way that's different than the rest of the world lives. It's an opportunity for us to live uh, a life where we choose that which is greater. And this morning, I want to ask you a question to consider this morning uh, of what is greater. And so we're going to take a little vote right here on our uh, audience participation. Which to you is greater, success or failure? Those of you who would say in your life you would choose success, raise your hand. Okay? And those of you who would choose failure, thank you for being here. We appreciate you, right? (laughs) And so I think it's pretty safe to say that The majority of us, we would choose, if we had the choice, if we're venturing into something, we would choose success over failure. I mean, if you start a business, you desire success. If you are on a sports team, you want success. You want to win, not lose. If you're pursuing an education or a career, you desire for that to happen, to graduate, to get the position, to to succeed, not to fail. We want to succeed. For a lot of people, this idea of success is what keeps us up at night. We want to succeed. We have to succeed and not fail because so much is riding on it. Because failure scares us. We fear it. And as such, we work a little harder. We study a little harder. We practice. We do whatever it takes to be successful. And I need you to hear me on this. I'm not standing here before you today saying that success is a bad thing. Because it's not. For some of us, though, that belief that success is greater than failure, it affects where you go to school, the job you take, who you date, what you wear, where you go, the friends you have, where you live, what you drive, the people you're willing to step on to climb the ladder, the rules you're willing to bend and even possibly break. And again, I'm going to say it again because I hope you hear my heart on this. There's nothing wrong with success. It just, I would simply suggest that pursuing success at all costs is not something we should do, nor is it something that we should give our lives to. And can I share with you why that's so true for me? Uh, Some of you may be able to relate to this. You may be like me. I really, I I fear failure. Anybody else willing to admit that? If you're not willing to admit, at least admit it to yourself. You know, I, I fear failure. 
As I shared last week, I, I, I struggle with feeling like I have to know everything and do it all right and get it right the first time. I, I must succeed. I, I feel like that if I do something, I must have success. And, and part of that is because I've always been kind of pretty successful. I, I'm, I'm expected to be successful. I must succeed. And while success is good, what if it is true that God doesn't define success in the same way I do or the same way we do? What, what if God's def- definition of success is different than ours? You see, the struggle I find is that when I go through the Scripture and I read through it, I cannot find anywhere in there that God is worried about or concerned about our success. And if you can find that, let me know, because I could be wrong. But I can't find where he's concerned about our success. What he has called us to be is not a life of success, but instead he's called us to live a life of faithfulness. He's concerned how we grow our faith, not our success, because in God's economy, faithfulness is greater than success. Because we can be very successful at the things that don't ultimately matter and then fail at the things that matter the most. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You see, God is more concerned with our character and our soul than he is the amount of success we experience in the social or economic areas of our lives. And again, I don't think God is against success. It's just that... I don't think he wants us to pursue success above all else. I I think he wants us to set goals and and work hard to strive to attain those things, but he doesn't want us to compromise our character or our faith in order to attain that success because in God's economy, faithfulness is greater than success. Now, before we jump into our text today there in Matthew chapter 14, it's important that we understand kind of what's going on uh, around it and what led uh, to this, this part of the story that, that we're going to read. Jesus, uh, in his ministry, has been teaching the people, as he often did, and he was using parables. And he's been spending some time teaching uh, the, the disciples and all the, the, the crowds following him about faith. He's been using parables to teach them about faith and examples uh, of faith and and how they should be willing to follow God above all other things. And in the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. He's been beheaded, in fact, by Herod the Tetrarch. And when Jesus hears that news concerning John the Baptist, what does he do? Well, the text tells us in verse 13 of chapter 14, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So Jesus got away from the people, the large uh, crowd of people that were following him. He just needed some time away. He needed some time to grieve, some time to be uh, away from the crowd. And so they load up in the boat and they head to the other side of the lake. But the people, the people who are following Jesus, they really want to hear Jesus. They are after him, right? So they see where he's going and they're like, follow me, boys. And the whole crowd goes around the edge, right? And so the disciples and Jesus go by boat and they get to the other side, but the people walk around the edge and they get to the other side and they're there to welcome and to receive Jesus when he gets there. And Jesus doesn't turn them away. Instead, he receives them and he starts teaching them and and healing their sick and, and, and ministering to them. And as evening approaches, the disciples, they're like, hey, Jesus, this has been great and all, but you know, it's, it's time for dinner. We're kind of hungry. I'm sure the people are hungry. You need to send the people away to the nearby, nearby villages so they can go to like Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and places and get their food, right? You need to, you need to send them off. And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. And the disciples are like, what? How do we do that? 
We don't have enough food to feed all of them. There's 5,000 men plus women and children, and the only food we can find, we were kind of trying to scrounge it up for ourselves, two fish and five loaves. Two fish and five loaves for 5,000 plus people. I've heard, I heard somebody say that that's like the worst church potluck dinner ever, right? Two fish and five loaves. But Jesus says, okay, okay. He has people sit down, right? He has them seated in, in groups of 50, and he gave thanks to the bread, and he gave thanks to God for the bread and the fish. And he gives it to his disciples, and he tells them to pass it out. And as they pass it out, they continue to have more to pass out and more to pass out. In fact, the text tells us that everyone ate as much as they wanted. They were all satisfied, which if you think about it, it's pretty incredible, right? And not only that, but the disciples, after everyone was done eating, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now that is a church potluck, right? That, that's pretty amazing. And this miracle had to leave the disciples in awe. They, wow, you know, look at what Jesus did. I, I've never seen anything like this before. Jesus fed the multitudes who were following who were following him. And here's something that I think is important to point out, and I've said this before, uh, but I I still think it's true. Uh, I would suggest that the miracle Jesus performed of feeding the 5,000 plus people was to the multitude, but it was for the disciples. Yes, he performed it to the the multitude. They were the ones that, that benefited from it, but it was for the disciples because Jesus wanted to teach them about faith. He was teaching them using parables and lessons and healings, and now he says, look, here's what it looks like. He wanted them to see firsthand that faithfulness is greater than success. And that's what has happened when we come to verse 22 of this text in chapter 14. I invite you to follow along with me. It says these words. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, which makes sense, right? It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, there are so many things we could talk about in that short little passage, in that text. Things that we would need lunch for everyone if we talked about all of those things. But I I just want to highlight a couple of things that I think are significant to to what we're talking about with uh, faithfulness being greater than success. And this is going to take a little bit of audience participation, okay? So, you ready? Get, put your thinking caps on. Um, how many of the disciples were in the boat? Twelve. Okay, there you go. Good answer, all right? Ready? <clears throat> how many of the disciples were with Jesus on shore when he performed the miracle of the fish and loaves? Twelve. Good answer, all right. How many of them passed out the bread and the fish to all the people? How many of them uh, gathered up the baskets of leftovers? How many of them got out of the boat? One. Just one. 
just one of the disciples allowed the miracle, the, the miracle about faith, to connect to their heart. Just one of them allowed the teachings and the parables of faith, all the miracles they'd seen Jesus perform, all the things that, that they had been seeing and witnessing and watching Jesus do, only one of them allowed their heart and their belief to change to the point where they believed what was true about Jesus. Only one of them believed that Jesus could do that which was miraculous in their own life. And as much of a hard time as we give to Peter, he was the only one who got out of the boat. You see, here's what I think is true. There's a lot of us who believe the truth about who Jesus is. And because of that, we do certain things in our life. We come to church, we worship, we listen, we learn, we, we serve, we, we go to small group. But somewhere in our life, there's a disconnect because it's not changing your life. Your life seems remarkably the same. And it's not that you would say that God is not good. You believe he is good. It's not that you would say God is not powerful. You believe he is powerful. It's just that you're not seeing the transformation take place in your own life. You're not living in light of the resurrection. And as a result, at times, you just kind of feel stuck, stuck where you are. And if you've ever felt that way, I'm here to tell you, you are in good company. There are people in this room who, who could tell you, you know what, yeah, I, I've been there. I, I've been kind of stuck Others would say, no, I haven't been there. In fact, I am there. I'm there right now. I am stuck. I, I, I don't know what to do. Sure, I, I believe. I have faith. I, I just feel dry and empty and stuck, not, not knowing where to go or what to do or who to trust or, or how to proceed. I would suggest that's where the disciples were. They saw Jesus do all, this amazing, all these amazing things. They saw Jesus do this amazing feeding people miracle, and they get back into the boat, and they're traveling over to the other side of the lake, and I'm sure they were talking about it. Man, this was, this was amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. He must be the Messiah. I think we can really trust in him. And Jesus, in a way that only he could, he gives the disciples an opportunity to practice the faith that they had had in him. It's as if Jesus was saying, you want to grow in your faith? It's not simply done by seeing and listening and knowing and observing. To have your faith truly grow, you must act on it. And it's interesting that often in our lives we experience the waves and the winds and the storms of our life. And, and we have this belief in Christ and it causes us then, in the midst of the storm, that's when we finally take the step to, to act, to grow, to do something, to truly depend on Christ, maybe for the first time in our lives. Because here's the amazing truth. God is not calling you just to stand on the sidelines and watch. He's inviting you to participate with him. He's inviting you to join him in having his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven, to participate with him and live in light of the resurrection, to grow your faith. Because as you participate with him, that's how your faith grows. And so this morning, I want to suggest two ways that, that I see in my own life and in other people's lives, two ways that we prevent our faith from growing. The first one is this. You can stay in the boat. You can just stay in the boat. Because the reality is this. Getting out of the boat, it will cost you something. All the disciples had the opportunity to get out of the boat, but 11 of them decided that the risk was too great, and as such, they just stayed put. You see, when you step out of the boat, and you step out of the boat to grow your faith, there's going to be some people that are going to wonder, what are you doing? 
They're going to ask you some really weird questions about, why are you doing this? But when you step out of the boat, you're taking a risk. And when you take a risk, there's the potential for embarrassment. There's the potential for failure. There's the potential for all kinds of things to happen. And because in our society we value success over failure, oftentimes we just stay in the boat, just like the eleven. Because what we see are all the negative things that could happen if we get out of the boat. But what we fail to see are all the things, the negative things that do happen when we stay in the boat. The wind was blowing, the waves were crashing, and 11 disciples decided to to hunker down and hold on to what they had and where they were. And the truth is that while staying in the boat may keep you safe, it also keeps you the same. And I want to challenge each one of us individually and as a body of believers that transformation doesn't take place in the boat. Life change happens, transformation happens, growth in our faith happens when we are willing to get out of the boat. So why do we stay in the boat? I'm sure we have our good reasons, right? And every one of you can justify why you stay in the boat. I know I can. Pastor Davis suggested, and I tend to agree, oftentimes the reason we stay in the boat are these two words, what if? And we become really good at asking what if? What if? And why? Because we value success over failure. So oftentimes we just ask what if? For me, I often ask, what if? What if I try to invest in that friendship and I'm rejected? What if we tried this new uh, ministry initiative and it fails? What if we go to two services and nobody shows up? What if we don't meet budget? What if people leave the church? What if my messages fall flat? What if people don't respond to Jesus' invitation to discover and experience his life-changing love? What if, and you can just keep on going, right? We ask a lot of what if questions. What is it for you? What if maybe something like, what if you work really hard at your job and your efforts go unnoticed and you get passed by from the promotion? What if you study really hard and you don't get accepted to that university or that college or you don't receive the scholarship that you desperately think you need? What if you stand up for your beliefs and it costs you a promotion or a friend or an experience? What if you take the new job, which is better for you because it allows you to spend more time with your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids, but the pay is less? What if you seek to honor God in your relationship and they want more than you are willing to give so they leave? What if? What if, what if? And you can fill in all those what ifs. And maybe the biggest problem with asking what if as much as we do is that it paralyzes you. It paralyzes me. It keeps us in the boat. What if keeps us from experiencing the life God has called us to live? It's the illusion of keeping us safe so we stay in the boat because we don't want to fail, because we value success. And the reality is, and here's what I've come to, to really believe and accept, and it's something that no one really wants to talk about, is the fact that simply staying in the boat is another way you fail. Growth happens in relationship with the Lord. Growth happens when we get out of the boat, when we're willing to step out on faith. Look at what Peter did. Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Notice Peter doesn't ask, hey, Lord, if it's you, promise me that everything's going to be fine. I'm going to walk on the water. I'm going to come to you. We're going to have a party out there on the water. All these other suckers are going to be here in the boat, and it's all going to be good. I'll be out there with you. Promise me that. No. Promise me it's you. Promise me it's you I'm walking toward. Come on, Jesus says. And so he got out of the boat, and as a result, his faith grew. So if you don't want your faith to grow, just 
stay in the boat. There's a second way we can prevent our faith from growing, and that is we get distracted. Verse 29 is an amazing verse. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. I've never done that. Anybody here ever done that? That is amazing when you think about that, right? Uh, Peter steps out on faith. He steps out onto the water, and he experiences amazing success, right? But what do we quickly point out at that point? Hey, buddy, keep reading, right? Because what happens? He sinks, right? We look at Peter and we say he failed. And it's interesting to me uh, what the text says caused Peter to sink. In verse 30, the text says, but when he saw the wind, that's something else I've never done. I've never walked on water. I've never seen wind. I've seen the effects of wind, right? I've, you know, dust in the wind, right? Heard, seen, okay? We've heard the wind. I've never seen it. But when he saw the wind, He was afraid and beginning to sink. It was something not visible to the human eye that caused him to become distracted from Jesus. And I would suggest the same thing happens to us today. Things that are not really visible, those are the kind of the things that cause us to become distracted, to take our focus off of Christ. And in doing so, we lose the ability that he gives us to walk on water, to grow in our faith. What are those things that cause us to be distracted? Things like fear and anxiety, and guilt, and regret, uh, what other people think of us, just to name a few. And we can't see those things, but they blow against us, right? They distract us, and we begin to doubt ourselves, and more importantly, we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt his word, and his truth, and his plan, and his love, and his power, not because of that which we see, but because of that which we can't see. And maybe that's where you feel like you are today. You've stepped out. You feel like, hey, I've gotten out of the boat. I've tried to walk and and trust God, and and it still feels like you're sinking. You're trusting God in your relationships and with your job and with your kids and with your finances, and it all seems to be crashing down around you, and you feel like you are sinking. Maybe you feel like you're sinking spiritually. You desire to walk on water with Christ, but it just seems like you're just taking on water, and you keep getting farther and farther, farther down, and you just don't see God showing up in your life in powerful ways. So what do we do when we feel that way, when we feel like we're beginning to sink? What does Peter do? When he starts to sink, he asks for help, Right? Verse 30, Peter says, Lord, save me. One of the most elegant prayers in the scriptures, right? He doesn't beat around the bush. He simply says, Lord, save me. And how does Jesus respond? The text says, and Jesus said, no. You learn how to swim on your own. Nobody made you get out of the boat. You got out of the boat on your own. You can get back in the boat on your own. You're sinking. You're wet. You're a failure. You're never going to succeed. You figure it out. You get back over there. You should have known better. Truthfully, isn't that the voice we hear? The voice we think we hear? Or the voice we think we will hear, so we're afraid to get out of the boat? We just want to stay safe. And if we do get out of the boat, we're afraid that that's how God's going to view us, and so we simply try to keep going on our own. We try to, try to swim on our own. We try to, try to make it through with all the storms of life, and we just try to survive. We're just treading water. We just feel like this is all we will ever have. But how does Jesus actually respond? What does the text say? It says, what's the word? Say it with me. Immediately. When did Jesus respond? Immediately. Peter cries out, and immediately Jesus reached down, out his hand, and caught him. 
And then Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We focus on that, I think, too much because Jesus saves him physically and then challenges him spiritually. He says, you know what, Peter, I am so much more concerned about your faith than I am about your success of walking on water. I'm so much more concerned about you than I am about what you've done. And we give Peter a hard time uh, about getting out of the boat, but he got out of the boat. He put himself in a position where he needed to be rescued. More than any of the other 11, Jesus willingly and lovingly extended grace to Peter because Peter needed rescued, because he was willing to step out on faith. Did the other 11 need to be rescued? Not from sinking. Why? Because they didn't step out on faith. Only Peter did. And Jesus saves Peter. And I think Peter grows in his faith as a result. And he wants to do the same thing for us. I would argue that he wants our faith to grow. And sometimes in the midst of our perceived failings, when he rescues us, that's when we have the greatest opportunity to grow in our faith. It's not when we are always being successful. It's when we need him more than any other time that our faith grows. Because sometimes we have to fail before we are willing to admit that we cannot do it on our own. And that's when we cry out to the Lord. And maybe for you, you need to cry out to the Lord for the first time in your life. Or maybe you need to cry out to him again for the first time in in a long time. You see, the challenge that is before me, the challenge that I'm hoping to place before you and and before us as a body of believers is, if we're going to fail, then let's not fail by staying in the boat. Let's fail by walking on water. Truthfully, this is something that that I have been and I continue to to be wrestling with, with what that looks like, not only here at, at PCC as a body of believers, but in my own life. What does it look like? Because the reality is, I, I've failed as a husband, as a father. Just ask my family, but not too often, okay? I've failed as a friend, as a coworker, as a pastor, as a leader, as a follower of Christ. And the amazing thing is this. That Jesus is still there to rescue and to challenge, to love and to encourage, to lift up and to hold accountable. And for many of us, and I would be so bold as to say for all of us here today, we've all brought some failures into this room here this morning. But hear me on this. Just because you have failed doesn't mean you are a failure. Because God's grace and his mercy and his love and his presence is available to each and every one of us. And what he's calling us to do is to cry out to him, to cry out to the Lord, to allow him to rescue you, to receive his grace and his mercy and his love and allow those things to flood over you into your life, to no longer sink in your failure and try to do it on your own, but to be rescued by him, to be rescued by his love. Ian and and Megan are going to come forward and they're going to lead us in a song of response. It's It's a song that talks about us trusting in the Lord and and allowing him uh, to work through us and and the faith that it gives us. It's an opportunity for us to to really think about what it means for us to get out of the boat, what it means for us to keep focused in on Christ. And if you want to talk to someone about your relationship with Christ, about getting out of the boat and and about uh, walking with him and about growing in your faith, I really want to invite you to make your way to the front or to the back of the auditorium this morning where members of the prayer team and the leadership team would be more than happy to talk with you and and pray with you. Maybe for you, you've been walking with the Lord and it's time for you to be obedient to him. It's time for you to surrender your life to him, maybe in, in a deeper, richer, more meaningful way. Maybe for you it's time to be obedient by taking the step of baptism and and saying, I want to surrender in that way. 
Maybe for you it's saying, you know what, I just need to walk with other people who can walk me uh, alongside with me as we walk and follow Christ together. We want to do that together as a body of believers, as, as people who understand that faith grows when we get out of the boat. Faith grows as we focus on Christ and we keep our eyes fixed on him. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me at this time. Ian and Megan are going to lead us. If you want to talk to someone, we invite you to make your way to the front of the back. We'd be more than happy to meet you there.